0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. As I read through Dawn Saito's biography, one word ran through my mind. Oh my God, that would be the OMG version. What hasn't this creative woman done? An accomplished actress, writer, director, dancer, Dawn has collaborated with major artists performing her work and theirs in the United States, Europe, Asia, South America. By the way, she's also a Butoh performer, and for those who aren't familiar with Butoh, myself included, it's a form of Japanese dance theater that encompasses a diverse range of activities, techniques, and motivations. Dawn's performance credits are long, rich, and varied. They include, in no particular order, selected shorts, a celebration of the short story, live theater, and radio performances for NPR at Symphony Space in Manhattan, Miami, D.C., and the Getty Museum in L.A., Sons Are Sons, a solo piece about sex trafficking and presented in the U.S., Cambodia, and Singapore. Dreamcatcher, developed under the auspices of Manhattan's Joseph Papps Public Theater as part of the Asian American Playwrights Lab. Dawn has also developed and directed Shinron's Lost Scrolls, based on the life of the founder of Shin Buddhism. She's taught workshops at Columbia, NYU Tisch grad acting program, University of Massachusetts, Bard College, Temple University, And Dawn has also served on the Cal Arts faculty and is an artist in residence at New York's Fordham University at Lincoln Center Theater Department and a Movement faculty member at Juilliard, that'll have to do it for now. So let's meet and get to know Don Saito. Hi, welcome. Hi, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, totally my pleasure. I'm not sure where to begin with you, but what I like to do with my guests is go back sure. way back to when you were a child. Mm-hmm. Were you born into a creative family? How did all this start for you?
1: Uh, I would say I was born into a creative uh, family in the sense that my father was a Buddhist minister. And uh, he found creativity in his everyday life. And his congregation were the Japanese-Americans, mostly, who were interned during the war. Mm. And so the temple also served as a social-cultural meeting place for these members. And where was it located? In Chicago, in Chicago, Illinois. At first, it was in Hyde Park, where Obama Mm -hmm. um, lived. And then we moved to the north side. But my father would have these gatherings where he would be very creative in cooking dinners. Uh, there's the teppanyaki style. I don't know if uh, you know anything about Japanese cooking, but. Well, I know um, about Japanese
0: food because I'm not a cook of any, ah, <laughs>
1: any kind, but. Uh, where um, the cooks would. Uh, cook in front of the oh
0: sure the, the guests the diners yes, yeah in front of the diners mm-hmm. hibachi, and so, hibachi cooking oh
1: yes mm-hmm. hibachi thank you um, and so my father would think he would have a temple member uh, donate a steel plate that he would heat for hours and then he would cook for the temple members or he would heat a large rock and then cook very thinly sliced meats um, on top of the rock. And so that was the kind of atmosphere that I grew up Mm -hmm. in because we had limited resources. So therefore that left the imagination open to play. Gotcha. And then my mother, she loved classical music, and she took me to the ballet. But they were not artists themselves, per se. But they exposed you to the arts. They exposed me. And I remember my mother, she took me to Swan Lake. And that was, it left such um, a huge impression on me. And I would put on the music of Swan Lake and dance in the living room. So we I've would, heard that
0: from other guests, have than mine. You? oh, yeah, that really? they that they were if it wasn't dance, they would be mm-hmm. putting on plays for their dolls, yes, you know, in their bedrooms or whatever. yes, and, and we it would was ha- a great transcendence for them,
1: absolutely. And we would, um, my siblings and I would put on puppet shows mm-hmm. and and um, I think also because language was, a barrier in the sense that my my mother, in particular, never mastered English, and my father did. So communication, I think, was um, more through the body, or that's how I started expressing myself, through the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then words. I, I also am a writer, but right. um, that came later. Mm-hmm.
0: But to be exposed to mm-hmm.
1: the arts yes.
0: is one thing. yes. To pursue the arts because you have an interest in talent is a whole other ballgame.
1: Yes. (laughs) Uh, uh, Because uh, my parents were of limited resources, um, they really wanted me to have a stable job. Mm -hmm. So they would kind of throw out little... Hints and say because they saw that I was interested in the arts and they would say, well, how are you going? How are you going to support yourself? And don't you want to be a teacher? And ironically, I'm also a teacher. Mm-hmm. But it was an un- unstoppable curiosity and interest in it my part. Was bigger than you, in other words. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And I took dance classes. My mother also did expose us to music, so I studied piano and violin, and she was a singer mm-hmm. herself. And, yeah, it was just a a thirst, a hunger. Or almost Mm -hmm. a
0: natural act. It's something you could not not do.
1: Yes. Uh So where did you go to college? I went to, for a couple of years, I went to University of Michigan at the residential college, which is the experimental small college within the larger university. And then I transferred to Sarah Lawrence. Oh,
0: in New York. In New York. Mm -hmm. And knew that you were going to pursue a career in the arts.
1: Uh, yes. Sarah Lawrence is very open in that I created a kind of um, multidisciplinary track. So I was interested in creative writing, dance, theater, and dabbled in visual arts.
0: So once you went to Sarah Lawrence mm-hmm. and graduated from mm-hmm. there, did you decide this was the place to be, New York, to yes. sort of satisfy all of those creative juices?
1: Yes, indeed. Indeed. And mm-hmm. what did you want to do? <laughs> I wound up being a multidisciplinary artist. so not, not right away. Uh, not right away. So I was interested in movement. So really, I would have to say that I started in movement and dance.
0: Which you took lessons when you were a youngster. Yes, mm-hmm. I did.
1: I did. And also at University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I also lived in San Francisco for a period of time in between the two schools. And that led to performance art. Uh, because I was interested in visual arts and text as well. And that led, and actually, I interned with the Wooster Group. I don't know if you know, they're an experimental theater company. Um, In Massachusetts? No, in New York. In New York. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I don't know Mm -hmm. them. They're one of the most important. uh, Mm.
0: There's a sin of omission on my part.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, they create devised work. And uh, from performance art, I be- it sort of opened up to theater, and I became an actor. But I never let go of my love for movement and collaborating with visual artists and musicians. I especially love the collaboration with other artists outside of my medium. Mm-hmm. So I, when I create pieces, because I do create pieces, I welcome Visual artists, musicians and composers and sound designers, uh, uh, and I try to incorporate it all into a theatrical experience. So I consider myself a multidisciplinary artist because I always have movement in my pieces as well, on top of acting.
0: So Mm -hmm. take us on this journey of Mm -hmm. taking uh, this love for creativity as well as performance Mm -hmm. to make it work for you as a profession.
1: So... Back in the day, when I was auditioning quite a bit as an actor, that was during a time when Asian actors had limited limited exposure to not only auditions but also to being seen on stage. Well, wait a minute. You think? Do you think it's changed much? Yes, you do. I I do, but I think there's still much more work to okay. be done. Yeah. So. Asian actors uh, were not really seen for classical plays but it was a vicious cycle because Asian actors also didn't get trained in conservatories and and so in a way it was harder to become good at classical text. But then there was a movement of actors. I don't know if you remember when there was Miss Saigon on Broadway oh, sure. and there was oh, sure. a controversy because mm-hmm. the main actor was not Asian. <laughs> yeah, so, not much
0: has changed, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: So there was protest. Um and also the roles that I was auditioning for were very stereotypical. Um I most often than not had to have some kind of Asian dialect. Cambodian, Korean, Chinese, and these are very, very, very different than Japanese. But there was this assumption that, oh, it all crossed all lines, it crossed Asian all was lines. Asian. Yes, yeah. So I would have to come in prepared and do research and you know what these dialects were. And also, um, do you think
0: that was appreciated when you were doing
1: uh, no, of course not. Yeah, Of course not. And there was one audition I went to where um, the director asked me, can you do a Native dance? And I said, uh, you mean Native American? And and so it wasn't even specified what Native meant. Right. Um, because I look Asian, I'm Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were so many... Um, uh, requests requests for stereotypical roles um, I played geishas and you know the roles that I was up for um, you had to be efficient in martial arts or whatever it was you know being the dragon lady
0: when give me some years the it's 80s in the 80s mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. so I I got very frustrated and I started creating my own work. I was
0: just gonna say you're gonna take matters into your own hands yes.
1: Yes. And so that's when I started devising work. And uh, I took workshops at the public theater in, uh, York, in New yeah. York. And that's where I began writing. And I thought, okay, you know, this is not only empowering, but I can also tell my stories or stories of people that I'm interested in. And, uh, yeah, I took matters into my own hands. So how did that work out for you? Um, I'm still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't a tough road to hoe initially? It it was because grants were limited, and so I... um, Were you your own advocate? I I was my own advocate, and then there were theaters that were interested in my work. So Dance Theater Workshop, um, which is now called New York Live Arts, But the artistic director at the time was David White. He took an interest, and there were other theaters. Um, My mentor, Larry Saccaro, who's gone, um, he had a company, and he commissioned me uh, to create work. So I had advocates um, that were interested in my work. So Um, it
0: wasn't wasn't one of those long, hard slogs, right? Were you getting recognition and respect? I'm going to use the term in quotes Mm -hmm. relatively quickly. I know everything is relative, but...
1: Uh, I would say it was a kind of a roller coaster. It Mm -hmm. wasn't, um, you know, a a direct descent up. Um, I also have a child. So that also affected um, Mm -hmm. the possibilities. But also my work tends to be leans into experimental work. It's not mainstream. So it's not everybody's cup of tea. Right. So I think that was also another obstacle in terms of, uh, you know, people saying, oh, I want to um, support this work.
0: What were then and now mm-hmm. your inspirations? What, what was it that you wanted to communicate? Well... And maybe we can do that. We could start with dance or sure. whatever. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't all... Didn't mm-hmm. cross all mm-hmm. forms of art, mm-hmm. right? What mm-hmm. you felt for dance, you might not have felt for theater.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say, being a child of parents who survived the war, World War II, and they were in Japan, and my mother was from Nagasaki. Um, she wasn't in Nagasaki when the bottom when, when the bomb, bomb dropped, mm-hmm. but definitely friends of our family, and also my ancestor had a very famous temple in Nagasaki that was decimated. And so um, we did have a particular history. And my father, he trained in, I guess, what, what is equivalent to the West Point of Japan. He was training to be an officer, and then the war ended. But at that time, Japan was devastated The population believed in the emperor being a living god. And then when Japan lost the war... He
0: had so much for that, huh?
1: uh, Yeah. The people were in an identity crisis. And there was much poverty. And my father turned to Buddhism. Uh, And that's one of the reasons why uh, he came to America, to teach Buddhism in America. But I have to say that um, I intuitively or through heritage... Because they brought, the household had a certain kind of PTSD, you know, from being survivors Ah, of the war. Mm -hmm. Um, But my father had Buddhism in terms of inspiration and how to move forward. And I think also um, Japanese Americans are resilient. And they didn't talk that much, um, as far as I can remember growing up, about being interned. But... You know, there are vibrations of that. And so for me, much of the piece, many of the pieces that I wrote um, deal with the atomic bomb, uh, deal with the trauma of war. And Butoh also comes out of the late 50s, um, post war uh, Japan. And these artists carry much of that kind of spirit of searching, of searching and asking questions. So I think that's. The seed from mm-hmm. where I come from, mm-hmm. and so I I write about personal stories, but then I expand upon the um, personal stories, and often my pieces go into the surreal because I love poetry. So my pieces tend to be non-linear, as opposed to Aristotle's, you know, linear narrative. Uh-huh. I go into the future. I go into the past. I well, go into. Well, you create into, your own I world. My your own, own world. creative world. Yes. And, yes. And and how
0: was that received? Was it a relatively easy road to hoe, or were you always having to prove yourself?
1: I would say the artist that I very much respect received it extremely well. And then others, because Butoh is a very extreme expression, or it can be a very extreme expression, if one day you watch Butoh artists perform. It's very transformative. So the mover, the artist, they inhabit different kinds of images and they use the face in very extreme ways. Or actually, you can inhabit anything. So it's all of the colors of the human condition. But I think it was very strange to audiences that are used to more commercial work. And conventional, right? Right. So I think my reception was mixed and right. complicated, um, but now, interestingly enough, because I teach Butoh influenced movement ideas in drama schools, there is more of an openness and, um, accept- and acceptability receptivity. and receptivity. Yes, because
0: mm-hmm. I mean, not that I'm so full of myself, but is, is, does it surprise you that I don't know about Butoh?
1: No, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so.
0: Was there a particular focus as you were making your way in your career? Was there one particular art form that spoke to you, or it would be, I see this as a theatrical piece, or I see this as a dance piece?
1: I would say that there was a fluidity. There would be times where I would be more movement-focused and times where I was very much an actor and acted in plays, um, in other people's work. Um, But... I would say my identity is really a multidisciplinary artist. And that actually is a category that is becoming more and more accepted. Mm -hmm. Um, Artists who like to use, sometimes they use multimedia, sometimes my work is very spare. But I would say the main ingredients that I incorporate are text and movement and sound. Uh, And are you basically working solo? In terms of my devised work, I've done a lot of solo work, yes, and my partner is asking me to write a play, um, so I hope to move into that direction. But I, when I direct, depending on the piece that's being directed, I've both devised for other people and direct for you know larger casts. Well, as I uh-huh. also
0: mentioned in the mm-hmm. introduction, you've pretty much performed here, there, and everywhere. Yes. And how how has that worked. Explain Mm -hmm. how you can wind up in Cambodia or Mm -hmm. South America. Mm -hmm. That's really actually fascinating that Mm -hmm. you've been on the road, I gather, a lot. Mm
1: -hmm. There's this piece that I created about sex trafficking. And I met this wonderful woman, Kay Chernish, who has an organization, Artworks for Freedom. And her work is really focused on helping um, artists that create work about sex trafficking, but also helps survivors of sex trafficking. She found me, Um, She responded to my piece, and she produced and asked if I would travel with her to Singapore and Cambodia to show my piece. In Singapore, I performed specifically for a fundraiser, and uh, we raised $100,000, and that was specifically for survivors of of sex sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So in one way, you know, I have these educational pieces to Mm -hmm. raise awareness, Mm -hmm. and that allows me to travel. I've worked with artists where we've toured to different countries with showing their pieces. Would mm-hmm.
0: you feel comfortable having a good portion of your work described as political?
1: Um, actually, no. Um, the sex trafficking piece, I think, I would say perhaps is the most political of my pieces and um, it was an interesting process for me both rewarding and educational because I would also perform in front of survivors of sex traffickers people who were sex trafficked and they would they responded so with so much appreciation and gratitude and said you have to tell our story Mm. you know to more places Um, so in that respect it was extremely rewarding. But I think my pieces really start from a personal place that I hope has universal resonance. But <clears throat> I would say that I don't start off thinking this is a political piece. Right. It's I, an evolving. It's an evolving uh, process. process yeah. And I'm I'm inspired by visual artists and music. And so all of that, influences and inspires me, but it usually starts with some kind of personal story. A trigger of some kind. A trigger of some kind. Uh Mm Uh-huh. And
0: so have you been able to marry your Mm -hmm. performances with your, quote, academic career?
1: Yes. Yes. I mainly teach right now at Fordham University. They have um, a theater department where students have to audition into. So it's as close to a conservatory training within a BA program. And that's been – I've been working there for decades now and almost 20 years actually. Well, that's only two decades. (laughs) Two decades, (laughs) yeah. And and I also started teaching movement at Juilliard, but I also work with the first-year students on – Um, alongside two stellar teachers. We work with the first-year students, and it's usually on a Shakespeare play, and I work on the physical component of that. So those are constants. So right now I'm getting ready to start rehearsals for a play that a very interesting, important artist, Christine, actually, their name is Haruna Lee, and uh, it's a a remounting of their piece. Um, it's called Suicide Forest. So, in between the teaching, and thankfully, the director and writer are patient with my teaching schedule. So, I do both, um, and they accommodate. Do you still my go on schedule. the road a
0: lot in Europe in Asia and South America? That hasn't changed.
1: My partner and I, we are co producers of um, Theater Devising Intensive in Berlin. And this is under Bard College. So Bard College has a small campus in Berlin, and we bring students from all over. They're mostly American students, but we've on occasion had European students that have also been part of this program. So every summer I'm in Berlin. There, my my duties are really producer, mm-hmm. and but we see, we're exposed to so much German theater or international theater in Berlin. I think I've seen some of the most exciting theater in Berlin. No kidding. And then from there, we travel, mm-hmm. my family and I, we travel. I have the intention of bringing, I have a solo piece, I have an intention of bringing my piece to Berlin, a new solo piece, I should say. So and, the, mm-hmm. all of these combinations yes. are
0: still very much a part of your Current life—that yes. nothing has really—you haven't veered from yeah. what you did, like in your word, decades <laughs> ago, <laughs> as you were developing as a performer. Mm-hmm. How that played—no pun intended—with yes. your family?
1: Ultimately, they saw how much joy I had in being happy with my livelihood, and ironically, um, I did a movement piece with my father. <laughs> No kidding. Um, uh, it's a father-daughter dance. And uh, he was terrified. <laughs> but I think they've come. My, both my parents have passed. But they, I think, ultimately, honestly, I think my father in particular and my mother was a little bit more worried about finances. But I think my father really wanted me to... Find my identity. So I think he would have, he he was a lot more flexible in accepting my livelihood. So I think they ultimately came to really embrace it. Have Mm -hmm. you
0: done much performing in Japan?
1: I performed in a Ping Chong piece. He's this incredible artist based in New York. He's worked with. Many artists, but when uh, many years ago, he worked with Meredith Monk. I'm just trying to see if you know any Mm, of these artists.
0: um, Not necessarily ringing a bell, but that doesn't mean I haven't been exposed to them.
1: But he, too, is an amazing multidisciplinary artist. And so he created this piece called Dejima. And in Japan, there's this small little island. Really, it's a part of Nagasaki. Um, And we brought our piece to Nagasaki, and actually that was the only time I performed in Japan. Yeah.
0: You know, I also was thinking as you were talking, did you always feel the need that you had to prove yourself in a way different than I would have to prove myself?
1: Yes, I did feel when I was starting out that I was marginalized, and not only me, I think Asian American actors, and so that in itself is an obstacle. And if anything, it kind of um, fuels the fire. Not easy. Not easy. Because there's a sense when you're denied access that, oh, you're not good enough. Um, I think psychologically it plays with you. But I found that even with the discomfort of that, I still had the need to be creating It was bigger and performing. than me. It was bigger than me. So I just kept pushing forward, and then creating experimental work that not everybody, you know, would respond to. I, I'm still, I survived. That was, I remember that was mm-hmm. my thought. Well, I still have a need to do it. So, so you're um, not selling out. So I think, what you call proving myself, I think in terms of my relationship to society. I think my journey is yes, I have a voice. I have a voice that's worthy being heard of. And also, much of the proving was my relationship to myself. Self inflicted. Yes, yes. But um, it's taken a lot of nurturing, mm-hmm. um, a lot of therapy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of work. I can't mm-hmm.
0: imagine that that hasn't impacted other young people yes. as they see that you can do it you Mm -hmm. know and you can do what it is that's true to you Mm -hmm. and not have to cave to Mm -hmm. what's to some stereotype or what somebody else thinks you should do absolutely
1: absolutely and because I teach a lot and I see actors of color students of color Mm -hmm. and they're asking the same questions and feeling the same pressures and and Mm -hmm. I'm thinking oh you know I, I feel that the field is more open to actors of color but Still, so, much, long way to go. It's so crazy, isn't much work it? That, to be you know, done.
0: What haven't you done that you would like to do or focus on? Is there some area that it's like, I'm, I'm going to go in this direction now?
1: Oh, um, well, in another lifetime, <laughs> perhaps. But I wish I was much more musical. Ah. And so I would love to expand myself vocally And this last solo piece that I did, I kind of experimented with creating loops with my voice and layering with Mm -hmm, my voice. mm -hmm. Um, But I... I love music. Music is one of my great passions. And and so in another lifetime, I wish, you know, to be a singer, musician, a composer. Um, But in this lifetime, you know, I I would love to open up my voice. Well, I wouldn't
0: think that that would stop you. Mm -hmm. You're going to do what it is that you need to do, Mm -hmm. regardless of whatever obstacles Mm -hmm. there may be. And even Mm -hmm. though there probably were some mountains to climb, Mm -hmm. you had to be true to you. Mm -hmm. And that's a great lesson to teach your students.
1: Yes, 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 indeed. And if I've survived, then my goodness, they have so many mentors that they can draw from and uh, make an important impact.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't think that that can be minimized Mm -hmm. when you have role models or or people whose passion, in a sense, is bigger than they are. Yes. And and that's a wonderful thing to teach Mm -hmm. as well because that's just not necessarily – ingrained or
1: mm-hmm.
0: that you're born with that. I mean, right. maybe you know what you have to do, but then it's like, oh, I don't know that I can pull this off or I'm not getting mm-hmm. enough of a reception or mm-hmm.
1: encouragement, mm-hmm. you know. But can you imagine, you know, because I grew up with the Japanese Americans that were interned, they were the parents of my friends and they had so much grace and dignity. They they didn't openly, at least to me, what I could observe, they didn't whine, they didn't complain. Itch, yeah. And their mm-hmm. spirit was shikata which means it couldn't be helped, and they moved forward, mm. and they provided for their children. But they were shut away. They were shut away. But yet, you know, they came out of the camps with so much beauty and grace right. and dignity. And so that was a huge inspiration for me. So in terms of, you know, obstacles... Um, so I you mean, were never
0: discouraged by your by your family or the circumstances,
1: um, or did did they worry for you? They worried. That's a very mm-hmm. more a much more precise mm-hmm. uh, word worried because mm-hmm. they also experienced prejudice. Of okay, course, well, duh. Um, uh,
0: I've heard that a lot from the Asian women uh, that I have interviewed, and it's just like really. I mean, but
1: they, I've experienced prejudice.
0: Yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I was interviewing one of the women. She would come home crying from school mm-hmm. when she was in elementary school because mm-hmm. the kids were making fun of her because of the shape of her eyes.
1: Oh, absolutely. I remember um, my group of girlfriends um, when we were, I don't know, nine, ten years old. There, there was such self-loathing because, you know, kids would talk about slanty eyes and 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 the fact that, you know, we couldn't hide because of the color of our skin. But also, <sighs> I, I have many, many, many stories, but one that as a young adult, you know, walking in Times Square when Times Square was still a little bit seedy, seedy um, this preppy, very clean-looking man walked up to me and said, oh, I'll offer you $50 if you come with me. And so there was this assumption that I was a prostitute, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh-huh. Um, but you know many stories like that that were diminishing, and mm-hmm. and um, and it, it does play on you. Uh, but but again, mm-hmm. a
0: theme that runs through each one of these conversations mm-hmm. is, and that can be taken to the bank, is the strong sense of self yes. among these women. It is. Almost a no brainer, mm-hmm. however mm-hmm. hard the slog or easy, yes, it is, it is amazing. You can just take that to the bank,
1: absolutely. I mean, what is the alternative? You know, you hide under a rock, or cave you can see seem easier. Um, I can't do this, you know. Yeah. But I think because I am such an emotional sensitive person, I'm not one that can. Live in my skin if I don't express myself that's just my it's nature. bigger than you it, that's my nature mm-hmm. and otherwise I think suppressing my voice that's death to me mm-hmm. it's death to me well, I'm, yeah, yeah.
0: You, you can't not do it
1: yeah, yeah. what a great way end
0: oh <laughs> well thank you Dawn and I hope that that's also I assume actually mm-hmm. I should say that that's something that you not only share in your work but you mm-hmm. share in your classroom
1: yes yes you know and it's wonderful Mm -hmm.
0: to be able to personalize all of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well Dawn Saito thanks so much for coming in and sharing your life story with us. It's fascinating. Thank you so much. And much much. more continued success in all that you you do.
1: I appreciate that so much. Thank you.
0: Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.